Well, all I know how to say after that is amen, hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you, choir, and thank you for letting me be back with you on this wonderful Lord's Day. I remember so well the seven months we spent together back in the middle of 2014 and the beginning of 2015. Now, I have a request for you before I preach this morning. You can help me a lot if you'll do not do one thing. Many of you, I see your faces, but I've seen a few other faces since I was here. Don't come up and say, you don't remember me, do you? Because <laughs> if you do, I'm going to say what I learned many years ago to say. Remember you, I've been trying to forget you for four years. No, I won't say that, but I do want to thank you for letting me be here and thank uh, Dr. Watkins. I want to say to you publicly some of the things I said before he came. Devin Watkins is one of the three finest students I've had at Beeson Divinity School, and I thank God that in his providence he led him and you together. And today I want you to do one thing for him. In a moment, we're going to bow and have silent prayer. Nobody's going to pray aloud. You may or may not know that this morning he is preaching at his first pastorate. I think it was in Kentucky. He didn't tell me that. But the first place he went to, and I'll tell you in a moment about my first pastorate, but I want you to pray silently that God will use him in a powerful way. Last time I checked, Kentucky is about an hour ahead of us, so it's about time for him to be preaching there. So let's bow together for just a moment and ask the Lord to bless our pastor as he preaches in his very first pastorate. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Open your Bible with me this morning, if you will, to the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want us to be looking at verse 15. And I want to warn you in advance, there's enough Bible dynamite in this passage we're about to read radically to change your marriage, your social life, your friendships, even in our denomination. Look at it carefully, beginning in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. Our Lord himself is speaking, and here's what he said. Stand together in honor of God's word. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. The NIV says, just between the two of you. I like the King James here. It says, A-L-O-N-E. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that on the uh, every mouth of two or three, every word may be established by the testimony of the two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is one of only two places in the Synoptic Gospels the word church 
is used. The other, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And here, only two times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, here it is. Tell it, he says, to the church. If he refuses even to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Skip down, if you will, to verse 21. The disciples are listening to this. You can almost see Peter like a little boy in first grade holding up his hand. Peter, what is it? Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but the NIV has 77 times. The King James has 70 times seven. The words number seven in the Bible is a number of completion. So Jesus is saying completely forgive. And then he begins to tell in verse 23 and to the end of the chapter, a 13 verse parable. We call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. It's the story of a man, to put it in language we will put it in today, who owed a $100,000 debt. He didn't have the wherewithal to pay it. He goes to his creditor and begs for leniency. And it's given to him, and he's forgiven the whole debt. He who's been forgiven $100,000 has a friend who owes him $100. He can't pay. Even though he's been forgiven a hundred thousand, he adamantly refuses to forgive one hundred dollar debt. Well, unfortunately for him, the word reached his original creditor. And he called him in, and the Bible says that he severely rebuked him and demanded that he pay everything that he owed. Now look at verse 35. Remember, I said to you many months ago now, every parable Jesus told had one main point. They may have been subpoints, but there's one main point. Sometimes we're left to deduce that. Sometimes Jesus pointedly says, here it is. And in verse 35, he says, here it is. So likewise, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless... You forgive your brother from your heart. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. Help us to have not only attentive ears, but obedient hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Located about... 30 to 35 miles south of here in the north side of Chilton County. This morning, there's a little country church. It was my first pastorate, like your pastor's preaching at his this morning. And I remember as I went there as their pastor as a young teenager, on the back wall of that church where your baptistry is, we didn't have an indoor baptistry. But instead, where it was on the back wall of that little church, Wider than my arm span, almost from the ceiling to the floor, was a copy of what we call the church covenant. Some of you are shaking your head. You can remember it. We took it off the wall of the church and we put it in the 
hymnals. And now we've taken that on the hymnals and most of you have never heard of a church covenant. But I remember that covenant and I went in there as a young teenager and I can remember sitting down after I'd visited in the afternoon, late in the evening, I'd come into that little sanctuary and I memorized that church covenant. Now I can't quote it to you today, but I still remember the next to the last paragraph. And here's what it said. That among other things, we covenant with one another. Here are the very words. To be slow to take offense. That leaves out some of you. Don't look like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, when you say, you have to handle them with kid gloves. She always carries her feelings on her shoulder. We talk about you behind your back. I'm telling you to your face. Don't do that. Be slow to take offense. Secondly, always ready for reconciliation. Thirdly, and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it, reconciliation, without delay. May I say it to you one more time. We moreover covenant together to be slow to take offense, always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Now I have to confess to you as a young preacher back then, I had no idea what the rules of the Savior for reconciliation was. They didn't say it. But I have no question now in retrospect, having studied the Gospel of Matthew, and particularly this chapter, this is the very passage they were talking about. The rules of the Savior for reconciliation. So I want to talk with you very briefly this morning about this simple topic. Learning how to forgive. And I want to tell you, It's much easier to stand and sing, clap our hands, praise God, shout hallelujah, than it is to be a forgiving person. It's not easy. If it were, we'd have more of it done. It's not easy, but Jesus taught us, if you want to give a subtitle of this sermon, it'd be how to get along with people. And you know, that's very important if you're going to make it in life. Learning how to get along with people or learning how to to forgive. Four simple things I want to fix in your mind as we think about this passage and go through it. Number one, the meaning, M-E-A-N-I-N-G, the meaning of forgiveness. And I mentioned this because there are at least five words used in our New Testament for forgive. The most important one of the five is the one that's used here. It's the little word of fiume that literally means to remove, to get out of the way. The meaning here of forgiveness is not what we sometimes make it mean. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know what the Bible said? If you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. There's only one thing wrong with that. That ain't in the Bible. You don't have to forgive. Don Dixon offends me as he's done hundreds of times. The only way I'm going to forget it is to lose my mind. And you don't have to do that till you become a Christian. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And some of you say, well, I know what it is. Forgiveness is said, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry too. And you kiss and make up. Is it fun? Sure. Does it do any good? No. Three weeks later, the same issue comes up. So you hear what I'm saying. It is not forgetting. It is not kissing and making up. You say, well, what is it? Here it is. That word means to remove that which separates 
to get it out of the way. You don't even have to agree with me to forgive me. My sister's here this morning. A lot of times she didn't forgive me. but She didn't agree with me, but she forgave me. Now I say this to you this morning. Forgiveness means that we remove that which separates so that it's no longer a barrier. That's what God does with our sins. When he forgives them, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. That's the forgiveness God gives us. Now quickly though, and the key thing that I want you to see in this passage is the manner, M-A-N-N-E-R, the manner of forgiveness. What Jesus said about how to do it. There are two things here that you'll see in verse 15. You have a principle, P-L-E, a principle and a fourfold application of that principle. You ready? Here is the principle. Most Baptists, most Christians, most people have never got the principle straight. Look at it in your Bible, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, the King James says, alone. Now, right in front of that little verb, go, is an understood pronoun. You remember what it is? If you inserted the pronoun there, what would it be? Said out loud. You. Y-O-U. Second person singular, if you know anything about English. You go and tell him his fault just between the two of you. What's Jesus saying? Hear it carefully. Mark it down in your mind, if not in your Bible. How do we forgive? According to Jesus, the principle is, listen to it now. The offended, E-D, goes to the offender, E-R, and initiates reconciliation, not the reverse. Most of the time people, well, you know, Brother Carter, so-and-so really hurt me. Now, I'd be willing to forgive them, nice Christian that I am, but they've not even mentioned it. You ever said that? And think that you're so pious. No, you're so ignorant. The Bible doesn't say that the person who has been offended is to do that. The Bible says the offended goes to the offender and initiates reconciliation. Now you say, well, I don't like that. Whether you like it or not, that's what the Bible says. Now, I can imagine some reasons Jesus had. We're not told why he put it that way. But you think about it for a moment. Now, just be honest here on Sunday morning, Mother's Day. Be honest. Have you ever offended anyone and didn't even know that you offended them? If you have, hold up your hand. All of us are guilty, and I hold my hand up high. You know, I even offended my wife in church on Sunday morning and didn't know it. You say, Carter, what in the world are you talking about? She'd go be here in that second service. She'll validate if you want to see her. She sang in the choir. She sat right up here over my right shoulder. And one Sunday morning, something happened, but never happened before or since that time. Right in the middle of the service, a young man stood up over here on my right. I'd never seen him before. He stood up and he said, doctor, doctor, doctor. Well, I didn't know whether he was trying to say, Dr. Carter didn't get out or I need a doctor. I didn't know. Nobody had ever done that to me in all my years. It's before or since. Well, as it turned out, 
the man sitting right next to him had become ill and was turning blue. And he decided, sermon or no sermon, I need to call for a doctor. And so he did. Well, they stretched that man out on the pew. And in a few moments, doctors in our church and some nurses got there. And they ministered to him. Seemed like five hours, probably five minutes. On Sunday morning, just like this. And then afterwards, they took him right up the aisle to the back. Right after that, one of the ushers came down and stood right here. And he looked up at me and he said, I had a word of prayer, finished preaching the sermon. Seven people joined the church that morning. Now I have to tell you, we preachers are as human as any of you are. When I went in, put my Bible in the study and went out to the car to meet my wife and children, I was getting all prepared for my wife to say, Honey, you did a great job this morning. You did lose your train of thought. You finished that sermon. Nine people came and joined the church. You just did so good. She didn't say any of that. You know what? She didn't say one word. So I thought, I'm a positive thinking guy. I said, you know, she just can't find the words to tell me how good I did. (laughs) And she's trying to come up with the right words. And so I waited and waited and went all the way to the restaurant. Not one word. Not a syllable. Well, when we got to the restaurant, in as nice, kind, pastoral voice as I could, I looked over at her and I said, what in the Sam Hill's wrong with you? (laughs) She said, listen now, remember what the guy did. She said, that man died and you had to finish that dumb sermon. I said, no, 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 he, he didn't die. Didn't you see Lee come down there? Yeah. Well, any normal person knows what this means. What does it mean? In baseball, it means safe. If you're just talking, you say, everything's okay. It didn't mean it to her. To her, it meant, no, he's dead. We're going to have his funeral day after tomorrow. <laughs> I see some of you, you'd agree with her. Some of you would agree with me. Well, the truth of the matter is, fortunately, I was right. The man had taken medicine. It lowered his blood pressure too lower. He was about to pass out. They got him to the hospital, and by the time the service was over, I'd gotten the word he was okay and headed back down to Aliceville, where he was from. Now, what happened? Let's just go back and push the rewind button. Suppose I've been married to my wife 25 or 30 years and, you know, this happened in church and I've done the best I can as a preacher to hold things together and keep preaching and get seven people to join the church and my wife thinks the guy died. And so I said, well, bless God, if she can't say anything, I ain't going to say anything. Now, I've offended her, but I didn't know it. And if I didn't know it, there's no way I can initiate reconciliation. And we would still be estranged today. And that was years ago. Now, what are you saying, Charles? Here is the principle. The offended goes to the offender and initiates reconciliation. Now, notice what Jesus does. So we don't misunderstand it. He said, here are four ways you go about doing that. One, two, three, four. You can't miss it. He says, first of all, go 
A-L-O-N-E. That's the reason I like the King James. It's so simple. The NIV says, just between the two of you. That's okay. But Jesus said, go how? Say it out loud. One more time. One more time. Now you say, why are you doing that, Carter? When you and I have interpersonal problems, and inevitably we have them, we don't have any prerogative to go to the Sunday school class or go to the deacons meeting or the church choir and say, do you know what so-and-so said? I can't believe they said this. And we spread the garbage all over the church and never do what Jesus said do. And yet we stomp and scream and holler, we believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. I believe that, but dear friend, it's time we put it into practice and we show to people that we really take this book seriously and we go alone. And I want to submit to you, overwhelmingly, most of our difficulties can be resolved if both people are Christians when we go alone in a kind way. Not in a reprimanding way, not in a put-down way, but lovingly, kindly, and a Christ-like way. We go to them alone. Jesus said, if that doesn't work, take two or three witnesses, two or three friends. Now, don't stack the deck, get your friends and their enemies, but two or three friends. Mature, judgment. I've been asked to do this maybe three times in my life, to go and try to help initiate reconciliation. And Jesus said, thirdly, if that doesn't work, tell it to the church. I've been a Baptist ever since I was just a little seven-year-old boy. And then I became a preacher. And I have moderated thousands of Baptist business meetings. And you always come to that. We got to where we didn't come to this because of what I'm about to tell you. We get to that point in the business meeting. Anything else to come before us tonight? Preacher, did you know there's no toilet paper in the fourth floor restroom? What are we going to do about that? Preacher, cigarette butts all over the church lawn out there. What are we going to do about it? I'm telling you things I've heard as a preacher in a business meeting in a Baptist church. World's dying, going to hell. We're talking about toilet paper and cigarette butts. <laughs> now what I'm saying to you is, Those are things that happen in church. Now, my point is this. Jesus said, tell it to the church. I've never one time, not once, and I'm 82 years of age, has anyone in a Baptist business meeting said, Brother Carter, Pastor, I have a request. There's been a rupture between a brother or a sister and me and Christ, and I've been them alone. I've taken two or three. We're still not reconciled. I need the church to help me, help us get reconciled. Not one time. Now, Jesus said, if they do that, and I've never had it done, but if, most people never get through one and two. But if you get through number three, then he says, <clears throat> if I can paraphrase what he said, Pray for them that they'll get saved. He says, let them be to you as a publican or a tax collector, a heathen and a Pharisee, a lost person. In other words, Jesus is saying very plainly, 
If you're a Christian and he or she is a Christian, they will be reconciled. Now there's the manner and the fourfold application of it if you miss everything else. One more time, the manner. Are you got it? The offended goes to the offender and does what? Initiates. That means begins reconciliation quickly. You sat there and listened to all this just like Peter did. You can almost hear Peter say, Lord, I have a question. What is it, Peter? How many times can John sin against me and I will let him have it in the kisser? How many times? <coughs> Three things here. There's the question of Peter. How many times do we have to be forgiving like this? And then the suggestion of Peter. You see it? He's far more generous than most people I know. He said, more than how many times? Seven times? How many people do you know say, well, I'll forgive you this time, but don't you ever let it happen again. They jump down our throat trying to forgive us. You know, this is right where we live, folks. Peter suggested a very generous number, far more than most of us are willing to give. And then he said, Jesus' reply is, Peter, not seven, but whether it's 77 or 70 times seven, what he's saying is, Peter, you forgive John as many times as is necessary for you to be reconciled as brothers in Christ. Amen? That he would say the same thing to you and the same thing to me. That when there's a rupture in a relationship, that we are going to be forgiving one towards another. Well, you say, Brother Carter, it's Mother's Day. I'm not in a very good mood when you get up there and say things like that. How in the world could anybody do that? So I want to give you one last word from this passage. The motive, M-O-T-I-V-E, the motive to forgive. There are three of them I'll quickly put in your mind before we close. Number one, the lesson from this parable, the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a simple story that talks about, as I recited to you, a man who has been forgiven an enormous debt. I paraphrase it to say $100,000. He's been forgiven that much. He has a friend who owes him $100 and he won't even forgive that. Then he gets in trouble because his creditor learns and he's rebuked. And Jesus said, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will do to you. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. Now don't misunderstand. Jesus is not remotely teaching here that we bargain with God. And that if you will forgive, be forgiving towards him, God will be forgiving towards you. No, no, no. He's teaching us here. If I have been forgiven by God, I will be forgiving toward you. Amen? Not too many amens there. But I want to tell you that's exactly what he's saying. That if I've been forgiven by God and Multiple sins, not just multiple, every single sin I've ever committed, every one of them, 
God is forgiven. You've never come to God and said, well, Lord, here it is again. I lost my temper or I got impatient. I said a bad word. I got angry. And God said, no, 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 no. Look, I've forgiven you all these years. No more forgiveness. No, no. You never come to God and hear that. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. All of our sins. Now you begin, we sing that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and surprise you what the Lord's done. Count your many sins, name them one by one, and it'll surprise you how many sins God's forgiven you. Over and over again. We all have our weaknesses. You know what I'm talking about? For some of you, it may be your tongue. For some of you, it may be your temper. You know what my weakness is? It's none of your business what my weakness is. <laughs> I just want to get some of you awake. <laughs> Uh, seriously, that lesson in that parable is, if I have been forgiven, I will be forgiving. Secondly, you have the message of the model prayer. The model prayer, and I mean by that what Jesus taught us, not the Lord's Prayer in John 17, but the one, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You remember one line of that? Right after that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he picks up a one line of that prayer. You remember the line? He picks it up in verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> the line says, And forgive us our trespasses. Our sins, our debts, whichever word you like. I like the word sins. Forgive us our sins as, there's the kicker. That little word means in direct proportion to. Forgive us our sins in direct proportion to how we forgive one another. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. It's saying, Lord, if I'm not willing to forgive Brother Don, I don't want you to forgive me. Oh, I told you there was enough Bible dynamite in this to revolutionize our lives right down where we live. Here is what that Jesus picked up on that one sentence and verse 14 and 15 in Matthew 6, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive yours. But, Verse 15, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Not saying we barter with God and we earn His forgiveness. No, no. It's saying if I do forgive, if I forgive you, if I've been forgiven, I will be forgiving toward you. And the final, if the teaching from the parable and the lesson from the model prayer don't help, the last motivation we have to be forgiving is the example of the cross. You remember that first word from the cross, Matthew 23, 34? Here's the only perfect man who ever lived. We sang about it a moment ago. Dying on the sins for our, of the cross for our sins. Six long hours he hangs there. And you know, we've looked in the Bible and found seven things he said. The very first word from the cross is Luke 23, 34. Hear it. Father, what's the next word? A little louder. 
little louder. Thank you. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very man who taught us to forgive practiced it even in dying. What a motivation. If you have trouble forgiving people, and most of us do, learn to live in the climate of the cross. Will you bow together with me for just a moment? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If today you are here and to your knowledge you have never been forgiven of your sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never made a commitment of your life to him. But today you'd like to make that commitment right here on Mother's Day 2018. A wonderful time to do it. I'm going to tell you how. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And right where you're sitting, if you'll pray this simple prayer, words to this effect. Dear Lord, that's right, you say it. I know that I've sinned and cannot save myself. But right now, Father, the best I know how, I confess my sins and ask you to forgive me. And come into my heart and save me. And dear Lord, on this Mother's Day, give me the courage to make it public. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, I believe some of you did. In just a moment, we're going to begin to sing our hymn, Just As I Am. And as Brent begins to lead us in it, I'm going to ask you to move out from where you'll be standing. Second part of the invitation, if you're here and you'd say, Charles, I so need Matthew 18 in my life. I just want to come to the altar and kneel and ask God to help me to be a forgiving person. It's not easy, but I want to do it. You just come and kneel and go back to your seat. Father, for those who prayed and asked you to come into their heart and save them, we thank you. For those of us who need added impetus to be a forgiving person, help us to leave this service different than when we came in. In your name we pray. Amen.